Welcome back to Something Positive for Positive People. This episode is The Illusion of Choice, and this is part two. On the previous episode, if you haven't checked it out and somehow you found yourself on this episode, um, I invite you to go back. Uh, Trigger warning, it does mention abuse, um, but just for a quick recap, we speak with Bree, who is here still, who has herpes and got herpes from a partner who um, disclosed to her and she decided that she liked the person and wanted to move forward. And then it was later on in the relationship, which was also at the beginning of the pandemic, that uh, the partner of Brie um, decided to let her know that he was having an outbreak the first time they had sex, even though he had disclosed. And we also kind of unpacked that maybe he was just saying that to be hurtful because people say hurtful things. And we talked about emotional unavailability as being something to avoid with partners. If a partner is not emotionally available for you, then maybe you shouldn't move forward with them. And just using that as an early on identifier of a person's willingness and capacity for a relationship um, and just using that as a metric, so to speak, of whether or not someone is worth exploring your compatibilities with. Um, at this point, Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides various forms of support to people who are navigating herpes stigma. It is a sexual health communications platform. We are uplifting, anti-stigmatizing, sex-positive, queer-friendly, identity-affirming, harm-reductive, trauma-informed healthcare. That is a mouthful, ain't it? Um, in our advocacy efforts. And uh, yeah, we just recently received funding to do so. If you still want to support something positive for positive people, please make a donation to Courtney Brame, all one word, or Venmo, or on Venmo, or Cash App. Again, it's just Courtney Brame, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y. B-R-A-M-E. And if you can't monetarily support us at this moment, then please leave a rating review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. All right. So after re-listening to the end of part one of this episode, um, we did get to the point of you leaving, Brie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess like I want to start with just closing that out. Um, Because I felt like it was just a little bit rushed because we ran out of time. But I want for you to be able to talk through what gave you the strength to leave because you were isolated in another state, away from your family, away from your friends. You had talked to your friend, your black friend, uh, who had also, you know, let you know that he was essentially unable to get away with this with black women. Right. So. Um, that's kind of where we left off. So I'm curious to know that throughout all of this, where did you find the strength to leave your abuser? So it was still, I still got out, which I keep reminding myself that's like the most important thing. But I definitely, it was not anything so, I don't know, like sometimes I feel like movies and shows dramatize and it's like this big fight and then like the person dramatically leaves the room mine definitely was a almost like a plea to just be like obviously I'm not doing like I put it all on me like I'm the one who's having issues like granted I was obviously because of all the mental mind games that were being played 
But at that time, I just used it as an excuse of like, obviously, I need time for myself because I'm the hot mess. I am the one who's being this or that. And that kind of like appeased him in a way. Like he still guilt tripped the crap out of me, like for the like three days leading up to the idea of me heading home. And I even used an excuse of like a family situation that someone wasn't doing well and I needed to get back home. Like, and that obviously with his work and his business, he needed to stay down there and I didn't want to stress him out. So it definitely wasn't a strong leaving, but it was the one way I knew I could get out without it escalating extremely, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think that what your point of uh, your point of how movies talk about abusers or people who are victims of domestic violence and how they leave like the movie that comes to mind is jennifer lopez enough where it's like super dramatic when as hard as it is to leave leaving is all you need to do you know like maybe they'll chase you maybe they'll try and pull you back maybe they will not let you but however it is that you're able to get out get out Right. Mm -hmm. And you were able to do this on your own. You know, you know, his buttons, you know, his patterns, you know, that this was the best way for you to leave. And I imagine that, you know, in leaving, you were met with a little bit of like uh, perhaps manipulative resistance or word choices of resistance. But like it didn't get physical, did it? No. Okay. so. Definitely able to avoid all that. It was just more so, yeah, the verbal manipulation because obviously I just blamed it all on myself. So, which unfortunately, like that's, it wasn't me, but in that mental state that I was in, it was just one, I think I truly believed it. It was all my fault. And then two, it just, obviously I wasn't attacking him or his character or anything about it. But, um, but yeah, it was more so the the verbal game of it of, I can't believe you're just going to like leave. Are you just going to give up? Like, are you like, am I going to see you ever again? Like, it was very much of um, manipulating in the sense of making you feel so guilty for even thinking about going home or doing something without him. Um, because I wasn't even saying as in like taking a break from a relationship. I like it, it kind of tried to start it off as like, hey, we just need a little break to, like, I just need to get some things handled. Like, obviously, I need it. I need help, and I need to go help my family on some, some like, certain things. So it turned from, like, me trying to say I want to break from the relationship to reassess where we are, which, obviously, the, the assessment would have been, like, this is really bad. I need to stay away. But it turned from that to just me, like, just saying, like, no, it's it's me. I I'm I need, obviously, therapy. I need things to make you happy type of situation so so it was that and I think he played into it by guilt tripping me more as being like the person who is just giving up or like not trying hard enough to make this relationship work so yeah Oh, I thought you were going to say some more. No, it's okay. That was good. Um, so, yeah, the, the manipulation doesn't necessarily look like all... It doesn't always look like someone dragging you by your hair or yelling and fighting and screaming. It can look like that very subtle just, well, am I ever going to see you again? Yeah. Or the other thing he did, like, this is before... Like, this was right when 
he finally accepted the fact that I was going to be heading back home. Uh, he had family in town and obviously I, w- I was doing my work and he was with his family and obviously I didn't really want to go out and pretend like everything was okay because we weren't okay. This was like after one of the big fights and the other manipulation he did was just like, he sent me like a voice message of saying like, yeah, I'm out here with my family and they're just asking, where's Bree? Why is Bree not here? Da 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 da. And then I had to literally explain to him in the most calming way, because obviously a normal person would have been like, what do you mean? Why am I not there? I'm like, yeah, tell your family that we've gone to a fight. But I even took it a step further. I was just like, hey, like, we're going through some big things right now. And I think it's more important than like, what your family thinks what's happening. Like I kind of like, and then he like subsided from that. But that was like another, I realized manipulation of like, bringing in his family now and being like, they're wondering, where are you? Why is she not here? What, like, what's going on? In the sense of, like, see, look what you're putting me through right mm. now. <laughs> and that, to me, now having you isolated away from your family and making you feel like my family is your family, I have more control over you because you not only are accountable to me, regardless of how mm-hmm. shitty I treat you, but because my family cares about you, yep. you... There's a trade-off. Like, you get that good treatment for tolerating this shitty treatment between mm-hmm. us. Wow. Yeah. That was another thing that was happening, like, right before I was leaving, too. And it, it sucked because it was hard because, like, luckily I kind of held strong because, like, I know other f- people have probably been experiencing this. Like, you feel, like oh my God, I am causing this person so much pain and problems and now they're family too? Like, God, why am I so awful? Reality is is not that at all. How did you stay away? How did you keep yourself from going back? Um, Well, being 2,000 miles apart does definitely help. It wasn't like it was just one state over or something. So at least it wasn't as hard to keep distance the only difficulty is that he did have family that was like probably like 30 to 45 minutes away from me so I was always worried about him just coming up to quote-unquote visit his family and then because he knew he knew where I lived obviously and like where I was located and stuff not that sounds (laughs) you can you can fix the you can fix the statement What, what do you mean not fix it it just it just sounds so creepy when I say it like that. Oh, well, like, we're talking about... Like, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, we're talking about people... We don't know what people are capable of until they do it, right? Exactly. And, and I know I'm not in the position... Like, if he came to my door and rang my doorbell... Like, I know we watch all those terrible movies where they're like, why did she let that guy in? Or why did he let her in? But, like, I know I'd probably just let him into my home. And I'm not saying that he would have done anything, but obviously I I live alone. I have a 16-pound dog. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It could have been many versions of manipulation that could have happened by me just simply letting him into my house. Yeah. Again. But Wait, luckily did I didn't he experience that. ever visit? No. Okay. But he did. It was funny. He kept trying to contact me. And, well, one, to back it up, when I finally got home, like he pulled the, well, I just want to make sure you get home safe. Because it was, it was a long car ride. And so he was doing the check-ins. But I think I left on a Thursday. And it's like a two-day trip. So probably got back Saturday. Um, 
Sunday morning already texting me. Did you have enough time? Did you think everything over? What, can we talk now? Like all this stuff. And I'm like, I just got done with a two day travel. I've had no time to think about anything right now, except like crying about half the car ride. But he was already pressuring me of like, Hey, what was, what are you thinking? What is your decision? What are, can we talk right now? And I was just like, I just, and I had to explain to him once again, trying to be the nicest person. Like I just got home. Like I haven't even like, I slept in my bed for one night. <laughs> like, and you want me to like talk this out right now, which would be healthy in a relationship, I guess, if it's something like out of concern. But like looking back at it now, I realized it was like, to hopefully catch me off guard to make like a rational, you know what? I messed up. I should have never came back up to Jersey. Like I'm coming back down or come up here and let's pack up again. And mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I want, I, the, <laughs> I want to believe it was because he was worried or concerned or like really cared for me. But in some parts of me, I realized it might've just been like, now that she's home, let me try to catch her off kilter and hopefully make her, like realize the mistake she made quickly before she gets settled at home, before she's around her family, around her friends. And maybe they're able to tell her like, what? Like, that's not good. That's not healthy. Like get, get in front of it before I actually am without him being around Mm -hmm. while you can monitor when I'm with my family and friends. Yeah. And you're someone with a very strong like family and support system. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they weren't involved when this was happening, it 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 speaks to the it speaks volumes to like how a person is capable of manipulating someone, right? Mm-hmm. You are someone who has very firm fa- family values, and yet you were able to allow someone to just come in and like pull you away from that, right? Yeah. And your family didn't have any idea what was going on, right? No, and that was on me. For not really talking. I think some of them started getting, like, one of my closest friends and, like, I think my sister kind of knows, like, something is off here. Or, like, my sister actually came to visit, um, which was fascinating to watch him switch masks so quickly because, obviously, she was in the house with us. So the difference of when she was in a room with us versus not, it was, like whiplash and that was actually towards the end of before I made the move where it was another red flag I was just like this is like two different people and then he let like his lip mask a little bit and my sister noticed and I remember on the car ride it was after the big fight and he made the comment that a black woman wouldn't be this emotional with a deadpan face and like nothing and I was I remember actually remember just going okay and like that was I didn't know what to say back like I was just like I ain't don't know what to say. And then literally right from there, driving my sister to the airport so she could fly home. And halfway through the car ride, she's like, Brie, what's up? And I just started bawling in the car and she started like freaking out because she's like, I don't want to leave you here. I'm about to get on a flight to go back home and you're going to be staying here. She's like, are you going to be okay? And then like, I kind of like put on the brave face again, like, no, 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 it's fine. I'm just, it's just been an emotional week. A lot of things happen, like excuses for mm-hmm. it. And because then I started feeling guilty, and I think some people could relate to this. Like, when you have the strong family and friends, you also care about them. You don't want them to be worried about you. Yeah. So you kind of like, so 
yeah, folks who can be manipulated sometimes don't have their strong ties. But even if you do have their strong ties, when you've been like a part of this delusion for so long, you start thinking like, no, 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 wait, I w- I'm the problem. So like, I don't need to bring my family and friends into this because it's my mess that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. When in reality, they're the ones who can tell you like, that's not your mess. Like, this is bad for you. You need to leave. Right. Um this sort of transitions very smoothly into athletics because we're talking about family values, support systems, and then this whole idea of having like a team, coaches, a culture, community around you when facing challenging obstacles like for you to lean on, right? Because you had teammates to practice with and sort of compete with for the sake of collaboration so that you Mm -hmm. can compete with others. Now, your morals, your integrity, your alignment of like being the strong one. I wonder if, yes, your family was uh, the the nature versus nurture, right? Mm-hmm. So these values were instilled in you because this is what your family, you know, genetics or whatever brought in. And it was also further nurtured in your family and then nurtured outside of that. My question to you is like that sense of loyalty from family to teammates to relationship. Mm. Do these all stem from the same sense of loyalty? Like, does it all look the same? Because we also, even as athletes, you know, the, the back and forth between like not really wanting to show up mm-hmm. and then like, having the accountability of your teammates where you like have to show up or else you're going to be made fun of, shamed or kicked off the team, right? Yeah. These things really do parallel well alongside each other. No, you have a good point. Or in some cases, for other athletes out there, sometimes you're dealing with narcissistic, abusive coaches and they will use the same... You made that point and I just... My brain just... like I had some coaches that were... Like, now looking back at it, they were, like, terrible human beings. Were they they, a lot like this boyfriend? If I think about it, in a way... Well, luckily, I've never had to deal with any sexual misconduct from um, a coach or something, which, unfortunately, some athletes definitely have experienced. I've had a friend who had that experience, and it's just awful, the power that some people use. But in some ways, yeah does kind of align right because they use the guilt factor to control you or uh try to use i don't know how to explain it but like yeah i gotta think about this one but i can think of times when my coaches would use it like if i wasn't feeling well or if i was injured or if i felt out of it but then it'd be like are you gonna really let the team down like you need to bring in these points like if you don't and do you that, know what that sounds like to me what? it sounds like are you really gonna give up on us yeah are you really gonna just leave me ah yes there it is yep so there are coaches unfortunately who are like that will use that manipulation where you will push your body or your mental health way past your breaking point in order to be a team member to make sure that you are doing you're putting out for your team um, or using your teammates against you in some way. Yeah, it's like this weaponized accountability, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, because like 
a partner taking you away from your family, the equivalent is going or, to college. Yeah. <laughs> like sorry, going That's to college exactly for yeah. sports, or even even if you're doing club or training a team, like you still go away meets, you still do traveling. Like your parents, like I like I was a swimmer. My parents didn't exactly sit in and watch every detail our coach was doing. Or at swim meets, especially. And yeah, because it's a culture, it's like the standard. It's normal. It's expected. And if you come in as someone new and you're like, what the what's wrong with this? Like, this is normal. And everybody else is like, oh, that's just how it is. That's just how coach so-and-so is. Or that's just how the captain is. Or that's yep. how like these authority figures are. And you're expected to show up, perform in your role and be talked to any kind of way. Yeah. And also because they're in a authority authoritative position you're expected like not to butt heads with the coach you're expected to follow instructions they're the coach for a reason instead of like it's probably one of the most interesting is when a coach doesn't have accountability like whether it be an athletic director or just some kind of other third party to like step in which I've noticed that time after time where someone because like obviously an athlete coming out of coach unless the coach is actually genuinely trying to like make sure that they're staying in tune with the team and like take responsibility if something doesn't work out most coaches are going to tell you to piss off and like if you don't like it you can transfer you can go somewhere else like you know what i mean like it's just but they also know how hard it is to transfer exactly right so if you don't like the way things are here now and this is as easy as it's probably gonna be (laughs) this is what's gonna happen then why don't you go out into the unknown like it it places this high fear on the unknown to the point where you're like oh i better stick to what i know and like that that kind of expands even more on the illusion of choice because in that case were you really given a choice like Mm -hmm. is is it your choice whether you stay here or leave when it's presented in a way that's like it ain't gonna get no better than this yep yep or who else is going to want you or i'm going to talk crap about you to the other coaches because they're all connected in some way or form uh you don't know who they're actually friendly with or who they're not so that's always a concern too and then when you pull in scholarships that's like a whole nother level of like chaos and pain um when it comes to especially like i like i worked my butt off i received a full ride but with that it's a terrifying factor because a lot of people when they see people who get full rides they think oh they're so lucky they get like their whole entire college education payoff which is awesome i'm not saying that to put that as a downer but i think they also forget is you are pretty much owned by the ncaa and that coach and they will use that scholarship over your head anytime you start to perform one percent less than what you are um i remember because i got really injured in my last year due to training due to the program pretty much messed up my back they actually thought i broke my spine luckily i didn't because that would have affected my career um, in, like, uh, working life later on. But I had to pretty much relearn how to, like, walk properly again. Like, I wasn't paralyzed, but, like, my back was so messed up. Like, walking was, like, impossible. And I had to do physical therapy four times a week for, like, a couple months. And just literally relearning how to use my muscles again so I don't hurt my back further. And with that being said... Uh, my college coach was threatening to, one, he was just like, well, for conference, like, 
you could just like do a couple races. Like you could at least like ma- like manhandle it and just push through, like for the sake of the team. Like you'd be uh, fine. AKA, I need to get my money's worth. Yeah, or like, or just like, like it's it's weird because they try to flatter you in a way to makes you think like, yeah, I'm actually a really good athlete. I could probably like kind of like still put points on the board even though I'm <laughs> really really terribly banged up. So it was that. And then when you realize that tactic wasn't going to work, then you start talking about like, you know, it'd be really great if I could get some of that scholarship money back because this was my fifth year. He's like, get some of that scholarship money and then I could recruit some new athletes since obviously you're not going to be around to compete. And using that guilt trip of guilt trip slash threat of I can take your scholarship, even though he doesn't. Well, that's the other thing. Athletes, athletes out there. They can't legally take your scholarship if you got injured under their your under their care. So obviously, but that's the other problem of illusion of choice is because then you have to get legal involved instead of being pushed over by the big beast that is NCAA's or that college. Yeah. In which case, luckily, I had parents. I know my dad would have gone head to head with him, but I'm fortunate where I had parents who would be like, absolutely not. Like you know, this is not legal you hurt her she got injured under your care therefore she deserves to keep her scholarship Mm. but not all athletes know that yeah um in terms of the like we learned a lot from sports we learned how to train we learned how to practice we learned routine we learned all these different skills we learned how to win we learned how to lose we learned how to experience rejection Right. And what I'm hearing in the parallels between essentially being groomed for uh, that same kind of of culture where, again, you don't really have a choice. Right. There's a choice painted like, oh, you chose to come to this school. You choosing this school. Actually, you're choosing between your options of who's going to give you a scholarship. Mm -hmm. Right. So in that sense, they chose to give you a scholarship. You had to choose. Well, all right, I don't want to. Do I want to pay out of pocket for college to go to a school that I want to go to, or do I want to go to this school? Mm-hmm. Right. And even then, you mentioned transferring because a coach left, and you know that choice was made for you. So yep. I, I repeat these things because I think that it's important to mention here that that's kind of the trajectory of people who play sports. And then what happens when sports is no longer valid? Like our transition into the real world from playing sports, always having coaching staff, the privileges that we got, like access to tutors and uh, special like uh, treatment to some extent. When that ends, that ends. <laughs> yeah. right? It's over. And <laughs> you get kicked off the bus. Real that's quick. <laughs> it. Right. So the transition into the real world, I think that I've recognized uh, some of my former teammates, too, who kind of are lost without that direction. I've mm-hmm. recognized some people who kind of seek it out in other areas and other ways. I heard someone say, like, sports are a cult. Right. In the sense that and, and when I hear the yeah. word cult, like it's the root word of culture, there is a culture that comes with playing sports. And we kind of seek that out, like arguably something positive for positive people is like a 
a cult in a sense, a culture, because I don't have a coach. I don't have teammates. I don't have accountability. So I had to create this in a sense here for myself to where I am the team. I am the coach. I am the program director. Mm -hmm. And like this being able to run smoothly for me, not to mess it up and allow for this to be something that's run ethically in alignment with values. Like that's my culture. This is my sports. Now this is so much more and bigger to me. Right. But not everyone has the, the path, the, the purpose, the passion, the, whatever is necessary, whatever it is that I have that I see some of my teammates really struggle through in order to fill that gap because you're left with a huge void Mm -hmm. that can be filled with anything when you go from when you go through that transition from anything like I to to broaden it from sports like say you finish college you finish college and then bam you're out in the real world there's not really much preparation for having to take care of yourself in a certain way like that you just haven't had to before no, exactly. And I think a lot of it also with the having that structure, having that um, there's privileges in some ways. I think that I I might be just a bitter old athlete because I'm like, there were some privileges, but I got the crap beaten out of me on a regular basis. Like I couldn't even do simple outdoor activities like tubing because our coach threatened us. If you get, if you get injured, your scholarship's gone and you're off the team. So like, I'm not trying to say woe is me, but at the same time, like there was a lot of restrictions when it came to that. Um, But I think the other thing that I still struggle with and something I try to work with anyone who's a younger athlete is that our identity and our value is so tightly based on our performance. So leaving that structure into the real world, I think I had a problem with it, which will, let me back it up. So it's a problem as an athlete because we base our value on, for like, for my case, for swimming, it was on your time, how you perform. Did you drop time or did you add time? Um, What is your body composition? Did you lose body fat? Did you gain muscle pounds? Uh, And then even for academics, what are your grades? Did you go up in GPA? Did you go down? Are you at the top of the class? Like, what is your scoring system? Like, everything had a value or a number. So it got to the point for myself, and I know some other teammates who experienced this, like, when you when you competed well and you did well in school, suddenly the value of yourself is, like, I'm a good person. I am doing well. Like, I, I am contributing, and I am doing what I'm supposed to do. And you feel good. Then, but the complete opposite happens, like, even I remember where I would add like a half a second, 0.5 <laughs> or anything like that. Or like instead of getting an A, I got a B plus. Suddenly that switch turns into, well, obviously I'm an awful person. I don't deserve all these things. Like I'm, I'm a terrible human being. Like my value was literally based on numbers. So that one was really hard being an athlete because all of a sudden like that's your whole world. Like I'm just a student. I am just an athlete and I will only be looked upon in a good light or loved if I perform at this point. And not all, once you get through that transition, like not all transitions, not all jobs 
come with those stat sheets. Mm-mm. How many numbers did I put up? How well am I doing? Like, I caught myself looking for that. Like, I wanted for my managers to tell me I'm doing well or I'm doing poorly. Like, mm-hmm. I'm looking for any sort of criticism or feedback and not getting any will drive you insane. Like, even now at this point, having something positive for positive people, I think that I have had a healthy shift from looking for metrics of success like wins, losses, yards, distance traveled, scores. Like I don't have that anymore. And I used to think, how many people am I helping? How many downloads is this podcast getting? How many people are going to the website? How many people are in therapy? Now, my metric for success is consistency and ain't no illusion in that choice. Like I used to think too, that this isn't really my choice. I'm selecting from the options that are available to me, right? Like, um, I, I, I'm, I don't know that I've said this on another podcast episode, but I used to allow for my external circumstances to dictate the decisions that I make. Like for instance, um, I go back and forth on whether or not I want to have kids and that's contingent on my 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 work, my career, how much money I make cuz like I don't make money through something positive for positive people like whatever regardless of what y'all think like y'all donations <laughs> and the money that I put in like it's to advance the mission and the efforts like there will come a day where I'm able to pay myself I'm sure but my metrics for success can't be things like how much am I paying myself right it's about the consistency, right? So looking back and, and bringing this back full circle, I had a shift and thank you therapy to where I went from that allowing my external circumstances to d- dictate my choices to making a choice and then using the external circumstances that I have in order to uh, make that choice come to light using like kids as an example. All right, well, if I say I do want kids and I know that I need to make X dollars, then I need to do things that are going to produce money. I need to find a partner who also wants kids. I need to do these things. And it's not a matter of like, do you hear the difference in both of those layouts of what my choice is? And just relating this to herpes because we've gotten away from herpes for so much, using like the the fact that you have herpes as a way of saying, well, I'm not going to have sex with anyone. I'm going to be celibate. I hate when I see people do that. When people I speak to who are like, yeah, I'm just, I'm going to be celibate or I'm not dating. I'm, I'm going to choose me. Like, that's cool if that's really what you mean. But oftentimes that comes from a place of avoiding rejection. I can see the shit because I did it. I've been there. I've avoided rejection. Now, if the choice is, damn, you know, I got this diagnosis, like I'm not finding that uh, I'm not finding myself interested in people right now. If that's genuinely what your choice is and you decide, all right, I'm going to go into celibacy for this long. It's a completely different way of doing life. It's a different way of experiencing your choice. It is, in fact, your choice. And it's not the illusion of choice because you try to feel empowered based on what your circumstances dictate for you. Um, I, I listen to a lot of absol. 
Absol has an album called Do What Thou Will. And he quotes, uh, what's his name? Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley, uh, from what I've read, wicked, evil, dark, all of these things. But the philosophy that he had was that uh, human beings are designed to do, it's do what thou wilt. It's not about what it is that you want, because when you speak out to existence, I want blank, all you're saying is I don't have blank. To want is literally to not have. So what you're calling in is lack, scarcity. I don't have. When you will, we're we're making decisions that are based on our behaviors. We're implementing behaviors that enforce that reinforce whatever beliefs we have or it challenges those beliefs. So we're, again, going back to using the external circumstances around you after having made a choice and being able to act in those ways. So it's about choosing from, or I'm sorry, it's about a place of uh, willing your choice. So you can't say, I want to be successful, right? What are your actions that implicate success? What is your definition of success? Is your definition of success uh, making a certain amount of money because you know that in the field that you're in, this is how much money a person at your experience level should be making? Or is it your choice I'm going to do this thing and make money from it. You know, using me, for example, I'm going to continue to run this nonprofit, run this podcast, and I am going to experience success because I am going to be the most consistent. Right now, there's 240 podcast episodes up, uh, that are numerical and probably 260, 270 if you include the bonus episodes, right? Consistency. Over the last five years, I've been doing this. This has been a this has been something that I, I it has to have been my choice. And while herpes is what got me here, herpes isn't what keeps me here. Like, look at how this conversation went. We're talking about abuse. Like the initial touch point of it was herpes. But ultimately, it was about abuse. Like how often did Brie and her story say herpes, you know, came up outside of the moments of needing support, right? But this was really about emotional unavailability, right? So we, and I'm, I'm getting way into many more topics than what I wanted to get into, but I really want to drive home that it's about choice, like make the choice. When you make the big decision and you act in accordance, in alignment with that big decision, all of the little decisions make themselves you start to see all of the opportunities around you that support the choice that you make. But you have to continue to act and behave in a way that reinforces the choice that you have made the decision on. Because using the celibacy thing, for example, oh, I got diagnosed with herpes. I'm just I'm going to be celibate because that's what I want to do. And you don't really have no reason. Like if you didn't have herpes, you might not have been celibate. If you didn't fear rejection, you might not be celibate. And if someone came along under the right circumstances and they were attractive and you were horny and you wanted them, they wanted you. And then you had sex, you broke your celibacy because what happens is when you make these choices, you are going to be challenged to, to honor those choices that you make. 
right? So again, like speaking to the illusion of choice, sometimes our choices are illusory, right? And the only way to make them real is to back them up with our will, with our behaviors. And we'll start to see there's going to be opportunities and there's going to be difficult moments. And when we have those difficult moments, those are simply obstacles to challenge us and really identify, all right, for ourselves, like we have to choose, is this what I really want? And it's a matter of, again, reinforcing that it's not about what you want. It's about what you will. What are your behaviors? Look at behaviors. Look at your behaviors. Don't look at that. I want shit. Like that, that I want ain't going to get it for you. It's I choose, I will. Like, this is what I'm willing. <sighs> okay. Now back to the whole. Like, <laughs> no, you're on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you was here for a second. <laughs> okay. I was my, listening to you. <laughs> I got on my soapbox there. Um, But there's so much that I've learned as a former college athlete that I've repressed. I've repressed a lot of my athlete lessons right Mm -hmm. and part of it is like and and it's come out through something positive for positive people in the form of consistency like i choose for consistency to be my metric for success and in being consistent like things have happened opportunities have presented themselves i've been able to raise more money for people getting them therapy and support and um, being able to increase my advocacy efforts and activism efforts oh yeah <laughs> oh, that's staying in the podcast because I'm not. I'm not about to edit just that. <laughs> um, actually, let me stop speaking so much right now and give you the opportunity to say more things because oh, I know I've been speaking a lot too. <laughs> I know that there are things that came up throughout that little ramble I just had for you. If you want to share, uh, no, I think you hit some really good points. I think my points are a little bit more. Uh, basic. <laughs> um, it's more so in the line of what I was mentioning before of I the val like as an athlete or even as a person like maybe it's just school or maybe you're in theater or more artistic or in the band or whatever it might be. We tend to base our value on how we're performing as a human. Like we we tend to base our value as a human about our performances. And so the one thing I know I kept like they asked me to make a video a while ago for like the incoming like freshman class. And I ended it with just reminding them that they are more than just a swimmer. You're more than just an athlete. Like your whole entire life purpose is more than just this per- like performing, which I, I, and I love it cause I eat my own words because I still struggle with this post athlete days or even I wish someone was able to kind of like, put that through my head when I was an athlete, because unfortunately you deal with some coaches that just see your value based on how you're performing, that you become obsessed with it. And then when you go out into the real world where, like you said, it's not measured as easily. Suddenly I went from like, I knew my worth because I performed well. I did. I was top athlete in this and that. I got great grades. So suddenly not having it, all of a sudden she's like, I guess I'm worthless now. I guess there's no value I give to this world because now I don't have these things. And I'm I'm not saying this is true. I'm just stating how it feels sometimes. But I think the biggest takeaway that I try to tell anyone who's younger, who are, who are performing in whatever it might be, whether it be athletics, arts, school, 
um, anything you can think of is that your value is based, your value as a person is way more than those specific things. And just because you had a bad recital or a bad time when performing some musical note or your art piece is not coming forward or as an athlete, if you're not performing to the best that you would like or you're not hitting those times or those stats, it does not mean that you are a bad person. It just means you are a human and it's, it sucks. I'm not going to lie, but it doesn't mean like, what's the analogy? It's like, don't throw the baby out with the water. Yeah, yeah, throwing <laughs> the baby out with the bath water. Type of situation, which I see myself do and I see other folks who are competitive or very passionate with their career don't take that step back and realize like, yeah, I'm... I am more than just this hobby or sport or activity that I do or even career or industry that you're in. So that's probably the biggest thing that's hard. And then it ties into the herpes situation when you get your diagnosis. Like you've said, all of a sudden, like your whole entire like um, perspective changes about you because of this one thing. Suddenly, like you said, like people are performing, uh, they're doing celibacy, or they think this is like the dead end when it comes to relationships or moving forward, which I it feel like it correlates with the athlete side or whatever side where, oh, here's a new stat. Ooh, it's a, not a great stat. Therefore, now my value as a human has gone down instead of just realizing this was just a, one part of it, just like Swimming was one part of my life. And think about that response. Like if your stats are down in one thing, like your response can be to disregard everything that you're good at and then start to hyper focus on that thing and getting better at that thing. Now, it's not like practicing is what keeps you at a certain level. So to integrate or incorporate something that's going to get you better at this other aspect of your quote game, right? take the herpes diagnosis. I see people just obsessively look up and consume information. People like change their diet who've been diagnosed without any physical symptoms. They're like, I'm going to start taking medication. I'm going to start eating these things. I'm going to avoid these foods. I'm going to participate in these things. And people don't realize like, Nothing changed. You just became aware of what your status was, right? Mm -hmm. And can you imagine that if we didn't see stat sheets and like at the end of our lives, we saw our numbers of successes and failures and goods and bads and all of that, like having access to that now in the moment and watching it change, that's anxiety. That's anxiety city because you are always looking to make all of your numbers great. You're going to be up in some areas and down in some other areas. And that's okay because life is really about the lessons that we get. I saw something, um, it was a, a reel on Red Table Talk. I just saw it scrolling down Instagram. And the most recent guest that they had around the time of this episode, the lady was like, you know, in school, you're taught to study for the exam and then you take the test and then you get the grades back. Life don't work that way. Mm. You take the test. You life is a constant exam. And then the lessons come after the fact, like there is no studying. Right. So you have to incorporate those lessons into the next exam that life gives you. So looking at these stat sheets and everything, like imagine it at the end of your life, you're going to get a graded report. What are you valuing? What are you choosing to value? Right. 
Like, let's remove the illusion of choice here and pack it with you are making a choice. Your will, your behavior is reinforcing that choice that you made. And again, you're going to be met with obstacles. These obstacles in difficult moments serve as opportunities. Look at obstacles as opportunities to either reaffirm what your choice is or is going to invalidate what your choice is. Like you are so much more than what that stat sheet says. You are more than your successes and more than your failures. You are more than how well you perform. You're more than what other people perceive you as, as a part of a machine, a system, a culture. You are so much more than that. And it's important that you surround yourself with people who recognize you in that way and that you do whatever work it is that you need to on your end and reflect on yourself to recognize that for you so that you can continue to live in a place of choice and empowerment and will and have the kind of life that you choose. Bree, is there anything else you want to add? <laughs> no, I think you covered it really well. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anything, I just want to give everyone a hug. <laughs> if you're feeling these things, I am so sorry, but you're not alone. Um, and yeah, I think we covered some good points in this. Yeah. There's so many things that like surface for me in just exploring this conversation about how athletics have even contributed to how I responded to my herpes diagnosis. And I think that the resilience of like experiencing rejection, yeah, I avoided it at all costs, but like I lost games, I mm-hmm. missed tackles, I missed plays, I played football um in high all through middle school, high school, college. And I've 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 looked back and been like, damn, dude, I wish I would have done this thing differently. I wish I would have worked a little harder. I wish I would have trained more. My life could have turned out different. But the thing about my life turning out different is that my life would have turned out different. Um, all of these movies about the multiverse and infinite possibilities, like there are so many sets of choices that have been made to get you to this point exactly where you are, right? Begin operating from a place of choice if you haven't been. If you've been contemplating leaving that job because you're unhappy, it doesn't align with your values, leave that job. If you've been wanting to pursue a person, you want to say hi to that that person at the gym, say hi to that person at the gym. If there is something that you are passionate about, Pick up that instrument, pick up that paintbrush, pick up that that clipboard, whatever it is, man, and then just fucking choose that thing and know that throughout the course of it, you're going to experience various forms of rejections. No different than your herpes diagnosis. It's no different. We've been rejected for far more over the years than what would be, you know, the equivalent of somebody right swiping on us. We text a few times, say we have herpes and then they disappear. Like the amount of what our worth is on that stat sheet is diminished tremendously based on another person's interpretation of like this one part of our identity. Like let 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 them, let somebody find out, you know, the whole of us and then reject and then reject us. Like having an overview of the entire stat sheet, your person is going to be like fuck that stat sheet. They're going to ball it up, throw it away when you show it <laughs> to them. They'll be like you my person or like we we going to do this. I choose you. Right? Um 
I listened to this comedian, a controversial comedian. I'm not going to say his name, but what he said was the strongest dream wins the room. And I'm a firm believer in that. And I'm like a very, the, the, the power of belief. Like I believe in that because a person with malicious intent, if they believe enough and they believe in themselves and believe, 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 then that malicious intent is going to be executed. A good person, same thing, but it's really about the intensity of the belief. So you got to believe in you. You got to believe in your choice. You got to believe in who you are as an entire person. Just like I believe in you. Right. So I believe in me enough to continue to run this organization and be consistent and allow for that to be where I place my metrics for success. And I believe in you as somebody who's listening to this message right now that you're on your path to healing. Like I choose to show up and be consistent so that people can heal, so that people can learn, so people can make their own choices, so people can execute this thing. And with that also being said, like closing this out, something that I've chosen to do is to use the funding that I have for this project that I want to bring in sex educators as standardized or simulated patients for healthcare providers who've been in the field for a while and just need practice with performing a sexual history or um, giving an STI test and um, treatment so as to give them feedback directly from sex educators as these are people who um, are aware of various identities and sexual health care treatment and how people should be getting tested and how you can talk to a patient who might be coming in for STI screening and sexual health histories, you know, just being sex positive, being anti-stigmatizing, which isn't the same as non-stigmatizing because I think that that avoids it or ignores it and just turns away from it. I think that we need uh, a dose of the poison to create immunity or a vaccine or a cure, right? So anti-stigmatized care is acknowledgement and awareness of stigma and the ways that it exists and how it becomes prevalent into our education, like bringing awareness to that, not just ignoring it like it doesn't exist, but um, that sex positive, uh, anti-stigmatizing, identity affirming, harm reduction, trauma-informed, LGBT aware health care. I'm advocating for that, and I want further sex educators to serve as the people who are acting like the patients and giving feedback to these healthcare providers who may have been in the field for a lot longer than what um, what uh, their lessons may uh, have included for them in order to give people a sexual history, right? And so... Um, I think that this is something that will change the game of healthcare, um, and the way that people are not only delivered a diagnosis, but also their sex education. And for people who don't have STIs to be able to be more empathetic and understanding towards people who do. So I'm putting this together. I'm using a little bit of money that I got from a funding opportunity to put a pilot project together. And then hopefully the results come in. <laughs> I got to take stat sheets, right? All that shit I was just talking about, keeping score and stats. And here I am about to have to do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, this is an invitation. I want you all to share with me your 
healthcare providers who are doing things right and then healthcare providers where you've had a bad experience because I want to uplift the ones that are doing it well and then offer this learning opportunities to the ones that are offer these learning opportunities to the ones who aren't doing it well and hopefully make them pay for it so I can pay these sex educators facilitators and trainers in order to make this thing happen so I feel good about my choice my clear sense of direction for where something positive for positive people is at this moment and where it's headed as well. So um, yeah, your support matters, your support helps, your stories, all of that. (sighs) Till next time, stay sex positive.